University of Louisville understands that their students come from diverse backgrounds with aspirations, drives, and needs to match. With more than 50 online programs in areas like business, education, social work, engineering, and more, Yulevale provides students with a multitude of career advancing options and flexible coursework. Students can complete their coursework from the comfort of their home or on the go via mobile apps. Learn more at louisville.edu slash online. That's louisville.edu slash online. From the University of Louisville's Delphi Center for Teaching and Learning. And the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning. I am Kelvin Thompson. And I am Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening to TopCast, the Teaching Online Podcast. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kelvin. How are things? You know, I got a good cup of coffee and a in a mug that fits my hand nicely. How bad could they be? Yeah, you, you look you look very dapper today, and you're drinking well, out of your you. uh, your Louisville mug. So yeah, that's cool. Oh, look at you! It's a personalized Dr. Thompson mug. Very cool. Speaker gift from a, a recent talk. Wasn't that lovely? That is nice. Yeah, and ha- man, like, perfect for you. Yeah, I like it. Uh, well I am chosen. drinking the non thematically selected. Uh, Diet Coke. (laughs) (laughs) That might be a first. A differently caffeinated (laughs) beverage for me at the moment. It's brown. It's brown, yeah, and it's caffeinated. Not hot. So it'll do. Fizzier than normal. (laughs) That's right, than my typical (laughs) coffee, yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, I am today drinking a, a very, very serviceable, very approachable. Uh, single origin Guatemala from uh, local coffee roaster Heine Brothers, uh, which I still refuse to call Heine Brothers, which everybody else does, um, but Heine Brothers. And uh, I think this is, this serves often as like their their coffee of the day. It's a uh, it, but it's very it's a very tasty coffee. But it's it's something that they just offer out as uh, as sort of a. They don't call it a house blend, but almost like a house blend, you know, kind of a coffee for everybody all the time, uh, you might say. So my coffee's good. I sure hope your lukewarm <laughs> diet Coke is <laughs> good. It is. It is good. Yeah. So but I wonder if, if you might find a connection to today's topic in my cup. Uh, I'm not sure I do. Um, I feel like my only observation is you got to work on your own personal maturity and the pronunciation of the maturity. Again with the maturity. That's right. I um, know. No, so maybe maybe you could help me out a little. I was thinking about the kind of broadly approachable coffee of the day, uh, coffee for everybody all the time, mm, and okay. uh, we have a guest today who is from an organization that kind of sounds a little bit like that. You know, every learner, everywhere. Yeah. Right? So, so I kind of thought, well, maybe that's not, not a bad thing. Kind of a kind of open access coffee, if you will. <laughs> um, there you go. So you, Tom, recently interviewed our colleague, Patty O'Sullivan from Every Learner Everywhere. Patty serves there as manager of content development and special projects. She's been at a number of different institutions. Dear listener, you might have run across Patty in your, your journey at some point. I ran across Patty some years ago in Anaheim, as I recall, at uh, like an APLU gathering. She's been at several institutions. She's been at um, 
um, the University of Mississippi in a variety of roles during the last 20 years or so. Uh, so I thought it was a good conversation. Anything you want to say about the interview before we cut to it? Uh, no, not really. I think it stands on its own. I think it's a really important topic, and uh, I always enjoyed talking to Patty. I've, I have known her since she was at University of Mississippi, and so, you know, I think uh, I think you'll get a lot out of it. All right. Through the modern technological marvel that is podcast time travel, here is your interview with Patty O'Sullivan. So, Patty, thank you so much for being on TopCast. Thank you, Tom. It's such a pleasure to be on your podcast. Great. Well, um, maybe the first place to start is in uh, helping our audience maybe better understand the Every Learner Everywhere organization, your mission, you know, kind of how long you've been around, what your uh, what your goals and, and you're trying to accomplish. Sure. Thank you for that question. Um, Every Learner Everywhere was established in 2017 um, with funding from the Gates Foundation. We are a network of different organizations, including uh, the APLU, uh, the Association of uh, Public Land-Grant Universities, Online Learning Consortium, Achieving the Dream, uh, Titan Partners, Intentional Futures. There's there's 12 of us all together. I won't list us all. Um, but we are a network of organizations with the mission of helping institutions like UCF, um, like all you know, public institutions, some private institutions, use technology to innovate their teaching to make better outcomes for certain targeted populations. Uh, students who are Black, Latino, Indigenous, poverty affected, and first generation. Um, so we're really trying to blend together uh, equity in teaching, digital learning, and uh, best teaching practices. Great. Thank you. Um, I think that helps to orient for for everybody who might be listening, who maybe not may not be familiar with every learner everywhere, but may actually be familiar with some of the work. So um, thank you for for kind of setting that up. What I'd like to maybe spend a, a few minutes talking about today is uh, something that the organization published uh, not that long ago. Um, the uh, this this document, um, planning for academic continuity: a guide for academic leaders. And uh, I, you know, I was honored to be uh, a part of that and, and contributed a, just a little bit uh, to, to some of it with, some, with an interview and a case study. Um, but I think there's some really valuable information in there that, um, that others would, would really benefit from. So maybe the first place to start in that is just like, what is an academic continuity plan? Sure. It's a plan. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a, it's a set of policies, procedures, recommendations, and resources, mainly for faculty, but for, for institutional communities in general. But, but because we're focused on academic continuity, um, we're just going to focus on the recommendations and resources for faculty um, in continuing to teach to help students continue to learn during disruptions um, and COVID was a perfect example of this, right? It was something very sudden, uh, unexpected, and very long-term. And so a lot of schools developed academic continuity plans in light of COVID. Um, you know, we had that first phase of emergency remote teaching where everybody kind of scrambled. We weren't really sure, was this going to last two weeks? Is it going to be two months? It turned out to be two years. Um, and then over the, the, the summer, that summer after the initial, you know, 
COVID lockdown, that's when institutions really started to become intentional about, okay, we're going to do this in the fall, this, this remote teaching it needs to be better. It needs to better serve our learners. Um, and so a lot of institutions are um, familiar with academic continuity planning. What c- concerned me, and one of the thing, one of the reasons why I wanted to, to provide this resource really was to look into what are institutions doing with their COVID academic continuity plans? Are they... Um, taking them offline, you know, now that the emergency period is over? Um, are they transitioning into, we could use this for, for other disruptions? Um, and so it was fascinating to me. Uh, I had three student interns at the time that we were doing this research. We analyzed over 100 uh, academic continuity plans just to see what institutions were doing. Um, and it did surprise me how many, we actually had to look up about 175 institutions because so many institutions had taken down or archived their web pages with the academic continuity plans. Um, and, and it just kind of raised the question in my mind because I kept seeing around me, there's hurricanes, there's institutions that have to shut down because of a, um, you know, a murder, because of water quality, um, because of wildfires. Um, so many things were disrupting academics beyond COVID. And it just really surprised me that institutions were not using what they learned from COVID to meet these other situations. So I guess I gave you a yeah. long answer there, but no, I just but wanted that- to give you the broader context to why we did this research. Yeah, that, no, that helps. And it actually kind of touches on the next question, which was sort of like, why? Why do you, so sort of that's what a academic continuity plan is, but you kind of already kind of addressed the next one, which is why should institutions have them? I think about my own experience. I've been at UCF for a long time, but it seems like we have a hurricane every year that we're going to have to deal with. Uh, we had a global pandemic, like everybody. Um, but even prior to coming here, I was at an institution where there was a tornado, went right down the middle of campus on Christmas Day and just tore everything up and destroyed the administration building. So, you know, things happen, right? And you need to, you may not know what it's going to be. You mentioned wildfires and, you know, mudslides and, uh, and you know, active shooters and wh- whatever the case might be. There's, there's all kinds of reasons, and they're almost all bad, why a, a campus would need to close down and have a plan for continuing the business of, of the institution uh, and it seems like it's almost always online, right? That seems yeah, to be I mean, the that's, solution. I, I agree with you. And and I mean, I, that's part of our mission at Every Learner is to be promoting digital learning. But, you know, that that was the solution, right? To, to at least for this, um, you know, for the, for the COVID pandemic. But, but you're right. It seems like we go digital no matter what the situation is. Um, and I'm going to quote one of the people who was interviewed for this uh, resource, from um, the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, um, and his name is escaping me, but we'll, um, I, I, will, I will find it. Um, I think it's Tim Reed, but he, he said that if, um, if you don't have a plan, you're not ready. You know, if you're not planning, you're not ready. So um, I think the planning is important. I mean, listen, we do fire drills still. 
Right. <laughs> you know? Right. But we're not doing wildfire drills or we're not doing flooding drills or there's a raccoon infest, you know, infestation in the building drills. <laughs> um, and, and these are all real things that um, yeah. we, we found. We had in bats recent. in our library at one okay. point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, what is it, the Boy Scout motto? Be prepared, right? And so continue to, to, to practice and rehearse. Well, and sort of to that end, you've, you've provided some practical guidance for people within this, within this document, including five key strategies that, that you're kind of recommending that people adopt. And I thought maybe we can kind of just quickly go through those and maybe you could comment on, on a few of them. Sure. So the first one is to lead with equity and embed it in every part of academic continuity planning. Why, why do you think equity is so important in this? Well, I think we all learned during COVID that we were all experiencing the same pandemic, but we didn't experience it the same way. You know, if you had resources, you were better insulated from the pandemic. Um, and that's true with the students on campus. You know, if you lived in a location where you had really good broadband, you were lucky enough to have uh, a laptop or some other device that you could do your schoolwork from. If you were uh, fortunate enough to have a quiet space to study, you know, those were the students that maybe had a better COVID learning experience than others. I know at my own institution, the University of Mississippi, and I was on the um, COVID planning task force, we were you know, we were mapping out across the state of Mississippi, where were their hotspots that the students could go drive up and sit in their car and do their work from. And, you know, in the summer, that was really problematic because it's really hot. When we were, um, some, there was some remote teaching still in the winter, the students were cold. Um, students who were sitting in a car outside of McDonald's and they were kind of frequently going to this place, um, someone called the police on them. And it, and it just, it's stories like that that make you realize we are not having the same experience. And so to get back to equity, I mean, it's everything. If you're not thinking about equity, you're not doing equity. And if we're, if we're not going to lead with equity, we're basically saying we're willing to accept inequity in, in how students are learning. And I don't know any institution that's going to be okay with that, um, that, that, that would affirmatively say, yeah, we're okay with inequity. So um, thinking through equity is really important. Talking to the people who can tell you what they need is really, really important. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Th those stories um, really kind of bring it, bring it home. And you're right. I mean, COVID, since it affected everybody, um, you can really see how it affected different people differently uh, based on all of those things that you just mentioned. That's a great example. Um, your second strategy is plan for a variety of academic disruption scenarios. Um, <laughs> you mentioned a few of them, but um, you know, how does an institution go about planning for things that it isn't necessarily even predicting or forecasting or has on its radar? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I have to say credit for this um, strategy really, again, comes from the academic continuity plan at the University of Massachusetts and Amherst. They have a fantastic comprehensive plan that we highlighted in the resource um, with links to it. Um, we interviewed some of the people who developed the plan um, in, in the resource. But just to say that they really looked at different categories, and I thought it was fascinating. They have a category for if your facilities are compromised. So you mentioned you worked at a school, Tom, um, that had a tornado that took out the administrative building. What do you do if you lose all your student records? You know, um, what, you know, and that's maybe there wasn't teaching going on there, but it affects students. Like what if the registrar's office is taken out? <laughs> um, you know, so you have to have a plan for what happens if your facilities are compromised. Um, there was another scenario that talked about what happens when your faculty are compromised. Like what if something happens to the faculty? It could be a labor strike, but you know, it could be some something devastating that happens to your faculty. Who's going to teach your students? Um, so I thought that was really interesting that they looked at, I mean, those are just two scenarios. Um, but, you know, during COVID, there was none of that, right? It was just that we couldn't physically be together because of the, um, the virus. But, I mean, that's another scenario. So, um, but as we did research, um, all these just really weird things kept coming up. Like, um, Jackson State and, and other schools too in, in the um, Jackson, Mississippi area, but they had to shut down intermittently over a three-month period because of water quality issues. You know, it was just a public health issue. There was nothing wrong with the campus. There was nothing wrong with the students. There was nothing wrong with the, the faculty. It was just something out of their control was happening. Um, and like you said, there were bats in your library. Um, you know, <laughs> there was flood uh, at the University of Mississippi over Christmas break, there was flooding in a building that meant it had to be offline for the first month of classes. Um, so it's not even, scenarios don't have to affect the entire university, right? It could even affect one department being displaced um, because of raccoons or one faculty member being um, displaced. You know, I, my um, partner is a chair of modern languages and, you know, and employs a lot of faculty who um, are here on work visas. Well, some of them went home during COVID and it was hard to get back. Um, what do you do when your faculty member is stuck in another country? Um, so, they're just, and you're right, you can't think of all of them, but if you can kind of categorize them in terms of facilities, faculty, um, maybe other parts of your infrastructure, at least you can start with something, right? Yeah, 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 that's good. Thank you. Your, your next strategy is assess student needs based on the nature and impact of the crisis or the disruption. I mean, I guess maybe that's similar to your equity. Not every student is going to need the same kind of support, right? Yeah. So again, in, in COVID, we found that the needs, every time we thought we addressed a need, there was, you know, you peel back a layer and there's another whole set of needs. And so it wasn't just, oh, the students need broadband. The students needed devices. Um, the students needed flexibility because they maybe were all quarantining, maybe they went home and there's a lot of people in the same house stressing out the broadband, or there's one or two devices that six people are using. 
Um, so, or, or there just isn't a quiet space in the house. So we kept peeling back these layers. Then we found out that some students were housing insecure, were food insecure. Um, and so really kind of, and again, just talking to the people who are affected is just the best way to, to uh, you know, address this strategy is find out what they need. What is, what is preventing you from maximizing your learning during this period? What can we do to help you? Um, there were schools that set up food banks, gave, just gave cash to students. Um, I know at my own institution, we um, relieved certain fees that prevented students from registering for classes. You know, if it was below a certain threshold, um, we didn't penalize them. We said, you can go ahead and register for your classes. We know you'll get to this bill later, or maybe we'll forgive it with some of the COVID funding that we get. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's, again, it's kind of thinking through the scenarios, but then talking to the people who are affected um, so that you can assess what students need rather than assuming what they need. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and again, COVID is sort of the perfect laboratory that we used for some of this. Um, your fourth strategy is one that we've kind of touched on already with the, with the digital technologies, online technologies, but it's to, to include the basics of teaching using the most used digital technologies at your institution? I think a lot of institutions did a good job with this when it came to Zoom. <laughs> um, and no, Zoom is not sponsoring this podcast. I don't know, are they? <laughs> no, they, <are laughs> they <not>. should. Um, <clears throat> but since so many people were relying on Zoom, um, lots of institutions and even Zoom itself really came through and had workshops and really made sure that faculty and students were trained up to use that technology because we were all relying on it. But then we found out that there are lots of other technologies that um, were being used that students hadn't used previously and it was stressful for them. And But faculty couldn't know this because faculty are like, okay, this is helping me teach my students, maybe not realizing that students taking five or six classes, maybe five or six different faculty members are using five or six different platforms or tools. And that's a huge cognitive load mm -hmm. for the students. And so, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this as, as someone who runs, you know, a digital learning center, but I, I really, I, I love the variety of tools that we have out there and available to us, but at the same time, um, that variety was kind of, it was burdensome for the students. Um, yeah. and, and so yeah. maybe institutions really need to take an audit of what do faculty use? What are the tools being used at your institution? And what should we train people on? And, and, and also just looking at your learning management system, um, you know, if, if the learning management system can do something, why would you use a, another tool to do that same thing when the students are probably have, they probably have some familiarity with the LMS. Um, and, it, and again, it's just less of a burden for them to have to learn to use a new tool. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Tom. Well, no, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it does, it does add cognitive load to students when they have the more stuff they have to navigate, um, the more difference there is. But even I think from an institutional administrative standpoint, it's, it's hard to support at scale like we did during COVID with a lot of different tools. It's easier if you can kind of centralize on a smaller subset of tools and, and not maybe give as many options, but be able to go deep on those options that you do have. You know, it's a, it's a balance. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the last strategy 
um, maintain institutional readiness for academic disruption. Sort of your fire drill, right? Yeah, your fire drill. I mean, but this is, a lot of this is training a faculty. I mean, just what we were talking about before, if, if you have an institutional contract with Zoom or, you know, even with your LMS um, or with some other tool that, you know, the majority of faculty are using, there should just be regular trainings on it, either through the vendors. If you have a center for teaching and learning, it could be through that organization, or maybe it's a separate digital learning center. Um, however it happens, um, there needs to be regular training of faculty on these tools um, in anticipation of, of these disruptions. Um, and it's harder to train students because they, they come and go. Um, but, but like you said, if we can minimize how many tools we're using, that, that would help somewhat with that. But um, yeah, they, you know, we do fire drills once a term. Why not have a, a drill or a training session for academic disruption um, once a term or at least once a year or maybe during new faculty orientation? I mean, some, somewhere we need to have this kind of preparedness and then also I think it's a standing committee. And I know faculty might hear this and groan and be like, great, another committee to be assigned to. Um, but again, um, it we have committees to plan for so many things. This is, you know, if, if we're not planning for these disruptions, then nothing else matters, right? Like if we can't teach, then, um, you know, we, can, we can't do a lot of the other things we're planning for. So, um that's why I think it's that's important. And then just maintaining your technological infrastructure. You know, if you have um, a really big student class, if you have a thousand more students this term than you did last term, are you growing your IT department? Are, are you, uh, you know, working with IT to make sure that you've got the infrastructure ready that if you all had to go online suddenly, you could do that? Yeah, it's great advice. In fact, all of it's great advice and such a, a wealth of information inside this resource. I highly recommend everybody go take a look at it. Patty, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today on TopCast. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Well, Tom, that was your interview with Patty O'Sullivan. Yeah, always, like I said, joy talking to Patty. And this this topic, this you know kind of academic continuity uh, is, uh, is, is something that I think all of us have dealt with recently um, <laughs> throughout the world, um, you know, so that's a, that's a, it's a topic we could all relate to, but I don't think it's exclusive, as, as Patty kind of went through, to, to just worldwide pandemics, as, as much as that may be on everyone's minds. You know, I, I talked a little bit about the fact that we have a hurricane here in Orlando. It seems like mm -hmm. every year, at least one, that we have to deal with mm -hmm. at some point. So, yeah, there's always there's always something. And, um, you know, fortune favors the prepared, or as the Boy Scouts say, huh. be prepared. Yeah, I think all that's right. And uh, while it was certainly understandable to to kind of anchor to that, that, that broadly shared experience, I'd be a little bit concerned that some folks might dismiss continuity of operations as wasn't that a COVID thing? And there's kind of like this, okay, can't we move on? Um, but here's what I was thinking. I think this episode oddly kind of bookends uh, episode number, I've got it right here, episode number 61 of TopCast, which was Beyond the Coronavirus, Continuity of Operations and Online Learning, 
which we recorded in February of 2020 and released on March 2nd of 2020. Yeah. Using coronavirus as just like a one example among many. Yeah, This wow. is probably gonna be over in a couple of weeks. I remember recording that and we were talking about, man, can you believe what's going on in China? Exactly yeah. so. Yeah. But so there's us talking about the importance of continuity of operations pre-global pandemic, I mean, really. And here we are talking, you know, at, at, at this, we're in late 2023 as we're recording and releasing this. But that, but I think by those two points in time, the topic is still relevant regardless of a global pandemic. Absolutely, and I, I kept thinking, and you may, you may recall this, Kelvin, from your time here, but um, we would sometimes show up in, in other departments, what called COOP plans, continuity of yes, operations plans. That's right. We all had to do that's them right. at one point. And yep. like, I remember finding out that uh, the College of Health and Public Affairs, as it was called at the time, had a plan for if the COPA building burned down, we'll just go 100% online. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, when I found that out, like, okay, good plan, but we should know that we're the solution to your plan so that we are prepared. Right. And it actually wasn't such an idle thing because that almost mm -hmm. happened. Somebody left a candle burning in that building at one point and fortunately tragedy was averted. I remember that. Yeah, yeah you know, another thing I thought of uh, during your conversation with Patty is um, there were all kinds of different examples used. And some of those, some things you can, um, sort of think ahead about, but they're not the kind of things you're gonna pull a binder off of a shelf to go, oh, how do we handle this? Like an active shooter uh, thing. You're not gonna pull a binder off of a shelf. You're right. gonna try to remember that they told you run, hide, fight or something, right? right. You're gonna try right. to remember those concepts. But other things where you've got lead time on a hurricane or you know, you're watching something develop, you can go, okay, well, let's be, we, we've thought ahead, now let's, let's turn our attention to this, this, this plan. And I think digital learning is much more in that latter category yeah. than in the former category. Yeah, although we, we have been reactive in the past, mm. right? Like where something has happened and we've like, w when we took in all of those students from uh, Puerto oh, Rico yes. after that's you know right. they yeah. had they had a, a bad hurricane that hit them and yeah, it was Maria, right. um, yeah. so we have reacted to situations elsewhere. But I think you're right for the most part. Um, digital learning, online learning, has been kind of a a, a planned for contingency that mm -hmm. could be deployed when when the need arises. I think we've had lots of plans in the past. I even went to a session one time, I think it was at OLC, it was great. Uh, it was another institution was talking about how they support students because they were an online you know, institution or program and they had students all across the country and they monitored like disasters and events around the country because mm -hmm. they knew they had, so if there's a wildfire in California or if there was a hurricane mm -hmm. in North Carolina or something, they would monitor all of this this activity because they wanted to put student support services there. Now that's a little mm -hmm. bit different than we need to keep the operations of the university mm -hmm. going. That's more like targeted at student support. But I think the mindset is the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so not, not something to be discarded or dismissed or diminished just because so many of us are ready to turn a page and 
not think about global pandemics anymore. Yeah. This preparation work important all the time. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think having a plan, even if it it doesn't a hundred percent fit the square peg round hole that extended, but you've got something you could start with, right? I'm, you may remember when we were planning, like, what if SARS or bird flu or something came? Like, what would we Ooh, do? I do remember. Yeah, and so we did some of that that exercise to plan for it. Yep. And I think some of that informed our eventual, you know, COVID response in some mm -hmm. ways, how we thought about it. Um, so if it's, whether it's a hurricane, well, the hurricane plan could be applied to a tornado or a wildfire, mm -hmm. right? Depending yep. whatever it is, just the, the details need mm -hmm. to be changed. But the worst time to be dealing with a, a strategy is in the middle of the event itself. Yeah, absolutely. Abs well said. Absolutely so. Uh, would you like to try to get this bird on the ground? Let's try. So, Kelvin, as you said, while some of us have certainly had our share of thinking about the continuity of operations in the last three years or so, if we have learned anything after going through a global pandemic, we should be prepared to have our work disrupted mm. and have it continue for the benefit of our students, our faculty, and our staff. Digital learning I think has an important role to play in all of that. Yeah, excellent. I think that's right. Good reminder for us all. Uh, well, thanks for <laughs> sharing your Diet Coke uh, while I share my coffee virtually through the, the magic window of, of Zoom. And thank you to Patty O'Sullivan for joining us. And until next time, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya.